Boom! Hey everybody, this is Dr. Alan Trites, and this is Great Health Does Not Have to Be a Mission Impossible. And we're talking about conditions that cause stress in your life, or they can change your mood, or you have anxiety or depression. And this is a, 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 a series that we have, and, and we have a series on um, cholesterol and cardiovascular health. We have series on um, autoimmunity. We have series on leaky gut. We have series on um, quite a few things that are out there such as diabetes or saving your brain. All these are good things. Understand that in managed medicine that you have a cardiologist, you have a neurologist, you have an endocrinologist, you're a rheumatologist, uh, gastroenterologist. Um, so specialized medicine. And it's not that these doctors don't know that it, there's there's a crossover. It's just that they are, especially most of them are in the insurance world, their hands are tied. They, they have signed an agreement that I'm only going to do gastroenterology. I'm only going to do neurology. I'm not going to step over here and understand, even as a gastroenterologist, I understand that the nervous system has a lot to do with the digestion, but their hands are tied. So if you're going, well, why does my doctor do that? It, their hands are tied. So we have to go step out and look for people who are allowed to do other things, such as generalists or, um, and that's where uh, I have a background in pathology, but I also have a background as a, a three-year study. It's called a diplomat in the American Board of Chiropractic Internists where we get into uh, these things. Does it make us a specialty in anything? No. It makes us just a generalist, which means that when people come in, I have to decide, do you belong here? Or should you go somewhere else? And sometimes that does mean go to a cardiologist, a cardiologist, a neurologist, a gastroenterologist. Well, we do for uh, Not everybody is a good case for conservative care. Not everybody is going to do conservative care. So those are some of the things that come in. So <clears throat> we talked about some of these conditions, anxiety, depression, um, even bipolar, but hey, when we're, we, we have other things, ADD, ADHD, traumatic brain injuries, and other things that come on. But in anybody that goes to anybody's office, if you have this condition, are you being treated for it? If you have this condition, are you being treated for it properly? If you have this condition, has anybody checked for any underlying condition? So if, if the only thing you've ever done is gone to a counselor, a psychiatrist, or a psychologist, and nobody's run any tests, uh, I'm not saying this is a red flag, but that's a, a cause to concern if, if the course of treatment you have is not getting any better. So underlying causes, well, the number one autoimmunity in the world is currently called Hashimoto's thyroiditis, hypothyroidism, or just hypothyroidism in general. It can totally create anxiety and depression. What about abnormal hormone cycles, abnormal menstrual cycle? Same deal. There are nutrients that people need that the nervous system requires to function properly. What if you have low blood sugar? What if you have low blood pressure? What if you have autoimmunity? So autoimmunity is when your body attacks yourself. So Hashimoto's being one. What if you have rheumatoid arthritis? What if you have uh, ulcerative colitis? Sjogren's, scleroderma. You've heard these things. They can have that that creates anxiety and depression. What if you had a traumatic brain injury? Again, they can be there. Now, there can be other things, genetic disorders. Um, maybe you didn't develop right. Maybe everything that you do, you try, you, you just can't get math. Or you, you can't play a piano or learn a new language. And these, these kind of things that you wanted to do, but it, that, that part of your development didn't happen. So you, you're not able to study things. So here's how the brain is typically going to work. Now, you're going to be good on one side or the other, and that's normal. You might be better at math than you are at um, writing or drawing. But that still means that you can still draw now. For instance... I can draw a brain that really more or less looks like a Pac-Man. Uh, I can draw a stick figure, but not a human. 
And I can do it with both hands, left hand and right hand. You really can't tell the difference. They both suck. But I can <laughs> do math and other things on the other side, also with both hands, and it, it starts to look like something for real. So that's a just, just a different drawing or mechanism such as how the immune system goes into Texas or does that or how the thyroid cascade comes in um, or really the different parts of the brain, what we're looking for or what might not be firing when we run tests in the, in the office. So there are things that happen. Well, what if you have, um, see a lot of people when they get older, a doctor might dismiss that as you're just getting older. Now there's such a thing as you are getting older. We know that the moon goes over the, the top of you and there's this thing and, and your body oxidizes in a different way and your metabolism changes as you get older. But we don't like the brain to be to get older. Your body can age fine. Uh, there's really not gravitational pulls on your brain, but there's gravitational pulls on your body. So that's when you have things that drop and droop and wrinkles and things like that. But in, in the brain, you have what's called progressed or neurogenic diseases. You might have heard of these. Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, dementia. We keep bringing that up. Or there might be an unknown cause. Uh, that goes on there. So if you're not getting tested or taking a look at these, uh, it's really quite important. So in the event that somebody doesn't move, they're, they're a couch potato. You have increased anxiety, depression. Uh, if you're bipolar, it increases your activity. So you have higher highs and lows and low, lower lows. What if your blood sugar is too high or too low? It increases depression, anxiety, and your bipolar higher highs, and lower lows. What if you have systemic inflammation, whether it's an autoimmune thing or an infection? Your depression gets worse, your anxiety gets worse, and you have higher highs and lower lows, and you're bipolar. What if you have microbiome activity, such as uh, gut dysbiosis? You have too much yeast or too much, uh, maybe uh, mold exposure. Um, anyway, we know that clinically that increases depression and anxiety and higher highs and lower lows for bipolar. But what most people typically look at is the stress of the outside. You're being bullied. Uh, you don't have a good relationship with your mom and dad or your, your children or your work people, and that's it. That's all they look at. But we all have that to some degree. I mean, very rarely does somebody come in as, man, I get along with everybody. Nobody nobody dislikes me. Because even if you're like this wonderful cherub, and a kind soul person, there's always somebody who hates you for whatever reason. It's, it's just the reality. People get jealous for somebody being happy or somebody being successful. Instead of cheering with them or for them, um, they get jealous. So st stress pathology or pathophysiology is clearly there. But... I just don't see that that much. Now, there's events. I got it. There's events that go there. So we have to look at some other things. Well, what if we break down physical exercise? Well, what does physical exercise do? So if somebody sits around and does nothing, then their brain doesn't have growth factors. Their brain doesn't create its own opioids, which helps with pain. So when we, we're working with chronic pain people and they're unwilling to exercise, they're not going to get better. I, I don't have a tool to get better. Now, they can go take a med and the med can drop, block everything and it might actually kill them. But they're not going to get better. They're just blocking the pain. Most people inherently want to be better and want to be able to use the strategies to be better. So we have to get them to move. And so when you exercise, you increase what makes the brain better and what's called plastic. So there's two types of plasticity. You might have pain all the time and your brain has just learned to be plastic and create pain because it's your brain that creates pain. Or you have um, an addiction that goes along that line and finally the addiction is running everything that's plastic and it's telling it to there. But what plasticity does when you're working other pathways is, let's say there's an area, you're not good at playing the piano when you first start. You're not good at catching a ball when you first start playing baseball. You're not good at speaking a language when you first start turning. Um, you know, frankly, I think we all suck as doctors <laughs> as we come out of school. And then I even look back to like one or two years ago and I'm like, man, I wasn't that good because I keep pushing myself and I want to get better. But learning skills 
and pushing and whether it's balance, whether it's playing the piano, whether it's going back, you're practicing. That's plasticity. And then the brain and the nervous system start to understand what's going on and they create pathways that get better. So physical exercise is very important that. It also increases these things that <clears throat> medically they think is you're low and you're low in dopamine or serotonin or norepinephrine, epinephrine, and acetylcholine. Physical exercise makes your body create its own. It also helps with your fight or flight. Physical exercise does. So a lot of people are in a fight or flight sympathetic nervous system. And we get referrals from doctors all the time, really good doctors that do pretty decent workup. And they'll look at the patient and they've done stuff to help them get better, but they're still not better or their blood pressure is still super high. And they're like, well, I've been told I'm in the fight or flight. And I'm like, yeah, okay. So what's the limiting factor here? Sometimes it's just flipping exercise. Just get out and move. And what type of exercise here they do? Um, sometimes it's helping the body make energy. They're not very good at it. And um, blood tests are very good at showing what they're looking for. And then sometimes they just you can't sleep. Well, if you can't sleep, you, you can't heal and you can't clean up the junk. Essentially, uh, the way I look at it is when you sleep at night, the trash man comes down the street, especially to your brain, your nervous system, your immune system, it cleans up everything and it gets rid of it. So you wake up in the morning and you get rid of it. Um, that's the point of going to the bathroom in the morning, which everyone you want, you want to get rid of the crap that your body cleaned up from the day before and get rid of it. So sleep is very important. It helps the immune system. Um, it helps the hormones. It helps your growth factors. You grow at night, by the way. And then we have to make sure that you have normal glucose because if you don't have enough glucose blood sugar, your body goes into stress and then that affects everything else. So we talked about stress, but guess what? Physiological stress is huge. I think it's even more paramount than physiological stress. Now, granted, there are situations like let's say you're in a war and you're thrown in a combat zone. Okay, there's some serious psychological stress going on here, but at the same time. Are you running? Is your heart rate up here? Are you, you know, uh, there, there's a lot of things that, that have to go into it. So there's still that physiological thing that's there. And when there's no more danger, people still sit there and shake. Is that psychological stress or there's physiological stress? Both. But now the physiology is step, stepping over. So we've got to make sure that you have enough fuel. That's where blood sugar is so important. And anybody that has inflammation or they're eating inflammatory foods, uh, they're living in a world where their brain is completely activated all the time and never has a chance to recover. It's inflammatory. So we had a, a girl that came in today, and she was, um, she has a lot of anxiety, but she's a, a high-level um, professional with a doctorate. High-level, pushes herself to be perfect. Okay, we, we all know the type. We'll call it a type A personality when it comes to that. But as we got to talking, she's doing things, doing this, doing that, taking her off for a walk. And she sleeps pretty decent through the night. And okay, what what's our what's our trigger here? What's our common denominator as it came down through it? And, and she said, okay, well, you know, when I get down on myself, I feel angry and shame. Okay, that's, those are real. Those are literal to her, and they're affecting her. So let's check your brain function. Let's do this. And there, you can do it like if you ever there's a um, there's an app that's called Metro Timer. And if you put the app in like sixty beats per minute, you should be able to clap along with it. But when somebody's brain's working too hard, we start cutting down to 50 to 45 to 40. They can't keep on the beat. It's because their brain is not firing at the oscillating level that the brain's supposed to. So they're overactive. Now, overactive could be blood sugar. Overactive could be a lack of sleep. Could it be a lack of physical exercise. Could be an inflammatory condition. Could be microbiome health. And could be psychological stress or uh, like work pressure. They're going to fire you if you don't get this job done. Those kind of things. But then it changes what's called neurochemistry. And so our job in the office is to help them with neurochemistry and stress resiliency. And so we have to go check all these things and make sure they're okay. And then, okay, what can we do to make this better? And in the meantime, 
when you get to this, you're going to pick this app up and you're going to go to 40 and you're going to calm this brain down. Um, and so with that, it has a beat. Um, click, click. It's like a, you know, it's literally called Metro Timer, like you're hitting a, a, a block. If you're ever in band or anything, there's this wood block that kind of you can keep rhythm with. And then the other part of it, it's the flashing light. So you're getting brain input plus you're, uh, with ice. And then you're hearing it, so you're getting a different part of the brain input. And then you're moving, that's a different part of the brain input. And you're calming all of it down with this rhythm. So using those things to help calm the brain down is really quite serviceable and manageable. And it's it's free, so why not do something like that? So we did that in our bus office. Um, first started working with a lot of kids that were, you know, what they called hyperactivity or overactive. And calming the brain down while making sure that their physiology was managed. But then we start testing adults and we're like, holy cow, you don't want to be people work their brain too fast. Um, the good thing is the office was when I hear it, I get to use my brain and I get to clap along the beat. So um, neurologically, I'm getting treated every time we test somebody. Every time I show somebody to do balance, I'm neurologically doing balance for myself. And every time we talk about exercise, I'm getting exercise. So... I have to do all these things for me to survive. I understand what my inflammatory condition is. I understand what I have to do to get better. And um, the benefit of working um, the hours that I do, I, I, I just do not work long hours. I, I can't do it anymore. But the hours that I do work, I'm efficient in when I go in. And I, I keep them efficient and I don't go beyond it. If I go beyond it, I hurt for days. So understanding how to manage your situation and having somebody who's actually being able to test your situation is important to do and so uh, and i also know what our limitations are if, if somebody is out of our realm of practice and they're really needing psychological support get a form uh, i don't do that we don't do that in here and then making sure that they can be better at what is called resilience can you handle the crap that's being thrown at you so these are all big deals one of the things that I do want to hear, and again, don't have to be in our office, but I just want to make some note as to what comes out of this. So if somebody has, let's say your mom, um, and it doesn't really matter, let's say it doesn't really matter what the age, we'll just say your mom. Your mom's happy-go-lucky, fine, 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 and then like really, really one day she wakes up and she's depressed. And then maybe you take her somewhere, and I'm only saying this because I saw it, <laughs> I saw it happen um, and um, in a little town we go to that we work in um, happy happy lady saw her saw her saw her and then she comes and she's you know been diagnosed in the I haven't seen her for a month um, and in the time frame the the daughter and this is mom who's like 80 the daughter comes in and says well you know, she really just wasn't herself for a week. And then, you know, we called the doctor and he said to come in. And he goes, okay, she's got a major, major depressive disorder. Um, and, and this lady's been happy her whole life. And it doesn't have to be at the age of 80. It can be 13, 14, 15. Um, this, is, this is a big deal. Now, some people can have like a vascular bleed, a silent stroke. Um, and, and these are serious conditions. And, and they must be dealt with immediately. But if all that's been cleared up, the majority of those people are autoimmune. If you have celiac disease, if you have gluten sensitivity, if you have Hashimoto's, if you have Crohn's, if you have rheumatoid arthritis, if you have gluten ataxia, these are triggers that allow something to happen very quickly or 
major depressive disorder that come along with it, and it's not necessarily your life or, or what's going on outside. So I just want to bring that to your attention. Now, another thing that leads to depression is what's called neuroinflammation. Now, you can have hormone balances that do that, or you don't have enough ability to digest. Um, you don't have the ability for your, your your brain is overprotective. Some people have injuries that allow them to what's called uh, microglial um, activation, and it's just always attacking itself. That, that's not good. So we have to figure out how to get them out of that. Um, what if they don't have enough energy in the brain? Or um, one of the tests we run in our office, you can kind of get an idea how the brain uses or utilizes blood sugar. Um, and again, no, no blood test is perfect, but it kind of gives you a clue. So if you have this plus this plus this plus this, so if you get like eight tests that are talking about blood sugar that's not getting somewhere, and you, you probably get an idea you got a blood sugar problem. If it's just one blood sugar thing, it's a snapshot of time, well, you're going to run it again to see if it's really there. Uh, other than an A1C, that's pretty clear because uh, that's six months of testing that goes into an A1C. So I just want you to, to understand that not all, not all blood tests are perfect, but it's in a combination of looking at all of them over time that allows things to happen. Now, when you have depression, and specifically depression from inflammation, uh, you get so many changes in the brain that come on to there. And so the brain can eventually start to attack itself. Now, if the inflammation goes to the gut, then the gut pushes back, and then you can have a blood brain barrier issue, and then you get into these things called um, Parkinson's and dementia because they actually have these uh, uh, beta lymphoid plaques and tau proteins that come up through that. So, also, these are, these are things that I don't like to scare everybody when I'm talking to them in the office. Uh, this is what this could possibly turn into. That's not it. That's not the the job, unless they absolutely want to know. It's the job is to, can I mitigate and can we get in front of this? Can our, our staff educate this individual about the pros and cons of where they're at and what they're doing and what they can do to get better and when we're going to retest to see if they're better? You have to have checks and balances come along the way. And, and, and one of the complaints I have, even in our own office, bit of my profession is while we might find something to be very, very good at testing, where's the follow-up? Medical doctors are very good at follow-up. You have to come in for your annual routine. And I think that's too little. Sometimes it's too little too late, but at least it's something and people are, they're, they're aware of it. It didn't really, after this COVID pandemic, whether it's true or not, on the, the pandemic being legitimate, what I'm going for is that they found that a lot of people who really got sick, I mean, really sick, had underlying mechanisms, a disease that were going on. They had no idea what was going on. Why? Because getting tested once a year, and some people don't go to the doctor, but maybe once every two, three, four, five years not being tested is a big deal. So they, the suggestion that I agree with is that you should have full blood panel in December six months. Of course you should. So that's um, what comes along. So again, if you have any of these conditions and you don't have any blood panel at all, you should really see somebody and make sure that it's there. Because if you have one of these underlying conditions, it can make all the difference in the world. We, we've seen it in the office where somebody's had low blood sugar. We've seen it in the office where somebody had Hashimoto's. We've seen it in the office where somebody had undiagnosed celiac. And then the management of that happens, and the majority of these symptoms go away. I mean, we've had people come in, this for instance, um, fatigue, insomnia, pain, um, dizziness, whatever, and we found that they had this massive anemia and running all the neurological tests that look awful. <laughs> they felt everything. Uh, they can't smell anything. They can't taste anything. It's awful. And then their anemia fixes, and guess what? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. They're perfect pass every test um so it doesn't have to be some like oh my gosh it's the end of the world i've got brain tumors no it has to be what is your mechanism what caused it and then somebody has to go figure that out so again it doesn't have to happen in our office but if you're not getting that 
you deserve more. That's that's the whole point of me talking about this. There's a point. So, like for instance, hormone imbalance can create neuroinflammation. So can many other things. So you know, if you have another inflammatory condition, or you eat a lot of inflammatory food like MSG and and, and um, aspartame, they'll just light up your brain. So if you get that enough, enough. And by the way, so does your cell phone, and it literally says it on the the box. And hey, this we know this causes um, brain cancer if you put it to your head. But we all ignore it anyway. So um, I I don't like to talk on my phone. I I, I usually leave it about a foot away from me. And I talk on speaker, unless I'm on a plane, those people who do that, shame on them. Uh, <laughs> but I don't even want to talk on a plane. I'm not going to. I'm just like, I'm on a plane. Bye. Um, if I have to answer it, otherwise it's text. Um, but neuroinflammation over time or turns into neurodegeneration. That means the brain is degenerating. So we know that's not a good thing is to degenerate. And so what happens when you degenerate, you lose brain cells, just like drinking. And then you have impaired communication. So one cell doesn't talk to the other cell. And if one cell ends up dying, it kills the other one next to it. That's just a process of going. So now you have more and more problems and this cell speeds up. And so when you get degeneration, you get depression. So it's it's pretty clear when somebody comes in and they have Alzheimer's. Um, and it's it, it, the way that it, it hits the brain, it's in the frontal temporal lobe. There's 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 uh, there's two different parts of the brain, the temporal lobe and the, the, uh, the frontal lobe. And that's generally what Alzheimer's hits. While they have the, the conditions that they do, well, it's very rare that any of these people come in and they don't have some form of depression that's going in. Why? Because they don't have, their their, their nerves aren't um, talking. They don't have the energy to talk. They're inflamed. It's just um, a, a cascade of events that comes to it. And sometimes they even change their, their patterns or maybe they yell at you. Or maybe they call you names and they never used a bad word in their life. Um, and, and so there's that. So the other thing that can happen, let's say I had a lady that came in and she was a smoker for 40 years. That's impaired blood flow. We could see it. We were running, um, what is her blood flow in her fingers and what's the temperature from their head to her feet? What's the temperature uh, down her arm? And you know, it was fluctuating changes of temperatures that were going through there. And so we knew that she didn't have enough blood flow. So how is it, if it's not going to go downhill, how in the world is it going to go uphill? It's just, it's just not. She doesn't have enough flow to have that. So again, you don't have enough gasoline in your tank. Your car's not going to run. Well, what do you think is going to happen to your brain? So let's say she does have perfect blood sugar. But she has no, it's, the, the car does not turn over at night, but she has plenty of fuel in the tank. It's not going to do anything. So getting that fuel and getting it lit and getting it, the, the fire started is, is paramount for this individual. And that's just like one, one piece of the puzzle for that individual. But um, keep in mind that if you have a lot of antioxidants or oxidation that you have in your life, whether it's maybe you grew up in a farm, maybe you in an industry, maybe you smoked, maybe you, you know, the people that, I'll get to THC and CBD in a minute, but the people that smoke, it's it pairs the blood flow. Um, so first thing to do is get them off of smoking. The second thing to do is get them off THC. I'll just go with that. CBD, um, I, I don't have a problem with it until I see something that says I need to have a problem with it. So what happens when you have any of these things, hormone imbalance, neuroinflammation, degeneration, or impaired blood flow is you lose the ability for your brain to be plastic and resilience. And so again, our job is to help you to be resilient to the, the BS of life sometimes. And sometimes it gets pretty bad. All right. Some examples of, of how this can come, but what if your, your life is in a chronic stress? What if you're in a terrible relationship? Um, what if you're in a terrible job? What, what if you're just in a terrible school? This chronic stress response can affect your brain and part of the immune system of the brain is called the microglia 
And part of what protects your brain from getting all the stuff in is called the blood-brain barrier. Well, your chronic stress response can change your blood-brain barrier and allow it to be permeable. It's called leaky brain. And a chronic stress response, and by the way, it can be environmental, um, such as, let's say, a pesticide or herbicide or even glyphosates. It can be um, chronic stress response due to, um, you know, battle, um, fight or flight. Uh, maybe it's your job. Maybe you're a high-stress salesperson. Um, and then you get this part of your brain, the immune system, called microglia activation. So the brain thinks, I'm on fire. I need to go deal with stuff, and I need to put out the fire. When you're putting out the fire, you're killing cells. That's just the nature of it. So if you ever had your house on fire, and hopefully you never did, but when the fire department comes and they start blasting their hose in, do you think they care about your chandelier? Or they, they blast them through the window, and wherever the fire is, they're going to put it out. Anything in that room, that particular room, is, is done. It's, it's ruined. The water is water damage or fire damage or smoke damage. It's ruined. They do not care how it's going to happen. They're trying to save the bones of the house, and they're really going to destroy. I'm talking about the firemen, the fire hoses. By saving, in order to save your house, you've got to put out the fire. And when you put out the fire, you, you literally kill everything in there. So that's that's really what your microglia do. And so the result with chronic stress response is you end up with neuroinflammation, and then that leads to neurodegeneration, blood flow, and plasticity issues. So it's, it's a vicious cycle that comes through there. So this is how people can get into um, different conditions by having inflammation. Or stress conditions that can prevent that way. So uh, again, you can have medical condition. Maybe you have asthma or COPD. Maybe you have um, cardiac disease, um, what we talked about, that, and it really doesn't matter at this point where it came from. So either you have angina or you've had a heart attack before, um, or you have Hashimoto's or Graves, or you have had a seizure, or you get dizzy every time you stand up. There's, there's such a thing with vertigo um, and other um, responses, and all, all of these things can lead to changes, and they can lead to anxiety. They can lead to feelings of being in fear. They can lead to... Um, long-term anxiety leads to depression. I will take a moment to talk about bipolar cases because they're just a lot more involved in exactly what we've been uh, talking about. And you really have to be careful with these uh, as far as do they have um, any infections. And a lot of times you see ABV or HSV that are in there. And, and the goal for any doctor that sees somebody with bipolar is to improve their quality of life. They are... Think of a, a bipolar brain as they are susceptible to injuries, like it, like there's a scar, and they're always falling on this scar. And, and so they have to be very, very careful with inflammation. So the, the food that they eat, if you've got a bipolar, let's say a kid, and the parents are still feeding them junk food, it's just not going to get better, no matter where they go. You can medicate the crap out of them. They're, they're not going to get better. So there's a, a process that, that, that goes along. And a lot of these kids, bipolar, they have... In the childhood, they just didn't they didn't develop right. Um, some of these maybe they're classified as ADD or ADHD or on the autistic spectrum, uh, and and then later on they become oh well it's bipolar. You, you've probably heard of people like that. This didn't work in that anymore. Well, it's bipolar. Okay, fine. Um, but what really gets these people going is inflammation. It creates episodes. So this is clinically a progressive disorder. It kind of starts as a kid, and it's acute, and they don't get things that develop, and so it progresses, and then as they get older in life, they actually lose part of their gray matter in their brain, and when they do that, it happens in their motivation regions, and their 
limbic regions is really what's called reptilian brain is it's your um it's your survival so they lash out quickly at people um they have extreme anger um and these are things that happen where on the flip side they could be a very lovely person and then they turn around and tell you that they're going to kill you that's 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 the flip side of that but you don't see that as much in kids as you do in later aged adults you know 30s and 40s and above that have bipolar that's when it gets um quite complicated picture on that is if you have somebody that has bipolar and you know and and I don't have any in my family, but I have friends who have them, have, uh, whether it's relatives or um, marriages, <laughs> that have bipolar people. It's, it's about me helping you if you, if, you, if you know somebody or you're dealing with somebody. Where, where are they supposed to go? They need to go to somebody who's really helping this susceptibility of inflammatory triggers and you know, find out what, what goes on to them because... In their limbic system, which is literally your reptilian brain, your survival, it gets triggered on them on a daily basis. Now, sometimes it might be so bad, and sometimes it goes one way, and sometimes it goes the other way, but finding out what's going on with that is extremely important. Now, I've talked a little bit now so much about this thing called a limbic region of the brain, and that's the front part of the brain, and what's called the amygdala, and there's another piece. But these particular circuits that are called limbic circuits are important circuits for anxiety, depression, bipolar, and just your normal mood. The cells in there, you've heard of the neurons, nerve cell. Uh, you have what's called microglia and astrocytes, and those are the, like and and, and um, those are the immune system. And then you have blood supply or vascular cells that go in there. And these, the important part of the function is to create plasticity, to make sure there's circulation to make sure that there's nothing that gets into the brain that should never be there because you, you should have blood sugar and protein and fats that get in there but you, you don't want like glyphosates or glyphosates or like let's say you're pumping gas and you breathe the gas and you have a blood-brain barrier permeability it's a chance to get across your blood-brain barrier that's not good um so we want that blood-brain barrier intact and we want to make sure that the neuroimmune and the neurochemicals are all perfectly there so Again, with with this part of your brain, the front part, modulates and regulates emotion. Okay, it's, it, it also helps with critical thinking, problem solving, and planning. A again, anything dampened here can lead to depression. So let's say you have a, a medication that specifically is supposed to help what's called the prefrontal cortex. And it affects it or turns turn it down. What's the side effect? Depression. Okay, what if you light it up? What's the side effect? Anxiety. <laughs> so this is how different medications can come do things. Um, and, and then there's a, a part of the brain, that kind of like in, more or less in the center, that's called the cingulate gyrus. But it's really a part that helps with your um, autonomic modulation, meaning I'm supposed to breathe. Um, I'm supposed to swallow. Uh, I, need, I need hiccup. But really it's the regulation of emotions. So damage here. So let's say somebody has... Uh, CT, let's say they put football and they got hit in the head all the time. They can have inappropriate emotions that, that burst out. Now, some people have degeneration in that area and they say things that they didn't mean to say. Um, and, and they never would have said it before. And then what we typically see in the office is short-term memory. And that really comes from something called a hypothalamus. I'm sorry, not short-term memory. Short-term memory is hippocampus. So hypothalamus is really what 
regulates your like temperature. I'm hot, so I need to sweat. I'm cold, so I need to shiver. But it modulate it, it more or less. When I say modulate, it's to mediate and to regulate your temperature control. I'm hungry. I need to eat. I'm not no hungry anymore. I don't need to eat. But it's what's called the nerve and the um, hormone system. So neuroendocrine response. So it monitors how much hormone do I have in here? Do I need to stimulate something to tell somebody to work something? Oh, I don't have enough testosterone. Let's send a signal to the body to make more testosterone. That's really what it is. But the big deal that, that most people have is something called the amygdala, amygdala. And this is where the reptilian brain comes in. And its whole role is anxiety and fear response. So understand that a fear of falling startle response is, is one of two things that somebody has when they're a baby. And so when somebody has anxiety or fear, it activates what's called the sympathetic fight-or-flight response in the brain. That's good if there's a bear, but most people are sitting in that. So then it changes, and it can change, your emotion and behavior. It can lead to anxiety and damage of this. So this is a, um, a lot of animal studies. They damage this, and these animals have no fear of aggression. So a bear, not a bear, I'm sorry, a mouse will go attack a bear. Doesn't care. Uh, this isn't like honey badger or anything like that. I think honey badger by itself doesn't have very much of an amygdala. It's just, it's damaged because it didn't care about anything. But that's that's the issue. So if you have like you know a little kid hits their head and then all of a sudden they're not afraid of anything, um, what's going on here? Uh, is is this developing right? Should we should we take a look for it? Um, now, with people who are like that. So I have this kid that's uh, afraid of anything. How, how do I activate this? Because it's 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 now it's not working right, and they have no fear. So if you have a climber, the, the kids that climb, and they just they have no fear of anything. And I don't want a, a kid to be afraid of anything. So how do you make them not afraid of things, but have them actually make, start to have a little bit of reasoning? You you get them to listen to music, especially rhythmic music. You um. And most of the time, it's music they don't like. So if they're not into classical music, it's probably going to be that. Sometimes it's rap. It's the repetitive motion of a beat that'll do that. Now, if they're eating a whole bunch of junk food, um, it'll activate it too, but that's not how we want to activate it. Exercise activates it. Good relationships activates it. We're talking about kids. Most of these kids had something in their development that didn't didn't come together. So they've been diagnosed maybe, ADD, ADHD. Maybe they have OCD. Maybe they have a tick or Tourette's. They have a learning disorder, and, and learning disorder could be, and the reality is, a learning disorder could be not just the kids that are slow in school, it's the kids that are super, super smart. Um, that's a, a difference in how their brain works. Uh, even if you look at, like, even Albert Einstein, to a degree, they thought he was stupid, but he was extremely smart. But he probably had some sort of, um, I wouldn't call it brain dysbiosis, brain um, overactivity that made him do the things that he did, and, and it got to the point that nobody knew what the hell he was talking about. Because the dude is so smart and he's, he's probably right, but we don't know how to explain what he was talking about. So if you have a kid that's not motivated, you have a kid that has um, uh, an emotional issue or they, they can't seem to learn, can't get the memory, um, but limbic system is very involved in motivation. So you have a kid that doesn't work out, doesn't have a playing game. Um, and then we're not talking about games. We're talking about like soccer or running or uh, basketball or anything like that. It, they're not developing that part. So we, we see that a lot with, with kids, especially today. Pandemic, they're supposed to stay home. Um, then they had a bunch of games and then they do everything online. And I have to get mom and dad to step up. 
you, you've got to kick this kid outside and play with him, even if you've got to do it with him. There has to be stimulation enrichment, catching a ball and doing things uh, that goes to it because there's a very small window. When these kids leave your house, and they will someday, if, if they get to the age of 20, it's stuck. It's stuck. And, and, and the rest of their life, they're trying to feel, figure out what they can do for other types of plasticity and reducing their inflammation. But it's, it's stuck. So that, that part. So let's say it's, it's an angry kid. And it's a limbic issue, but it's making them like angry. And they're not moving. When they're 20, it's stuck. They're going to be... And, and you can do things to help slow that down, but they're still going to be mostly angry. hope that makes sense. So that, that's where we, we have to, to understand development of the brain when somebody comes in and they're like, well, you know, I've had ADD or ADHD since I was like two. <laughs> like that was ever diagnosed, but whatever. And they're like 50. What are you going to do for it? Um, you're not going to reverse it. That's, there's no way. Because it has now plasticity for ADD or ADHD, what they what they had. But uh, what can we do to, to make the brain more efficient and better resilient to the life and, and stresses and everything that goes on with it? That's literally what you get down to. But understanding that uh, as, a, as a clinician, as a practitioner, has been um, a, a milestone pathway. I didn't know all these things. And, and we all, again, we all come out of school going, man, I want to help everybody. And we have a new doctor in our office, and he's in that, that category and. and and I, I don't want him to discourage him because he does quickly learn that not everybody wants help. <laughs> somebody are there because somebody dragged them in. Uh, you don't, they don't need to be there, and it's, it's it's okay to say no. Or this is way outside my my, my practice. I mean, we had I bet once a week we have somebody call and like I have cancer. I want to do something natural. Not here. Not me. We're not going to do that. Um, you know, that's not. This just not in our our scope of practice. I mean. Could you imagine a functional medicine oncologist? It's just not, it's like, no. <laughs> the You have to, uh, oncology means you're going to kill cancer. And I don't know how you kill that in a functional model. I, I just I just don't see it. It's, to me, it's like somebody taking insurance and a functional medicine model. You're literally telling people that I will abide to the rules of your insurance company while providing you something that your body is supposed to react to and isn't paid for by insurance it's it's hands tied silliness i don't want to be part of that so anyway so if you have one of these kids or you know of anybody that has any of these conditions and they don't exercise good luck okay other than the music and activity the other thing that somebody can do to help um this limbic system is what kind of food do you eat if you eat excitatory foods inflammatory foods it's not going to happen um if you sit on your butt it's not going to happen if you don't uh try to do things that are what let's call cognitive tasks um solving a problem fixing something uh it's not going to happen if you don't have visual interpretation like i can see this thing in front of me and i can identify what it is or you know what i'm saying is screen time when somebody's just staring at a screen and their brain is numb, whether it's a TV or a cell phone or iPad, I don't really care what it is. It's not the same as what we call 3D real life. It's not the same. So more visual, and, and, and they, they can't be left alone. These kids have to have stimulation, so they have to have a social relationship. And whether they're in school and they have an IEP, there has to be some sort of, do they have any, do they have any friends? And do they hang out and they do anything? And if they don't have any friends, is there a way you can get them into some type of activity and you can get these, these kids... Whether you have to pull them out or homeschool them or get them into activities that are homeschool, but you're still going to school or church or whatever you got to do, they got to have a social relationship. If they don't, that part of their brain doesn't develop. 
which means that it's going to become more plastic, not the good plastic, plastic, um, and and they're, they're gonna they're gonna be there now. As parents, I got there are some kids that just end up staying home, but as parents, I think we all want them to grow up and be healthy and happy and and be a functioning member of society, and ideally move out, right? <laughs> they can move out at some point. So I'm trying to help you. If you have any of these kids, what are you gonna do? Uh, well, you gotta get them tested. Whether it's here or somewhere else, you gotta get them tested. Um, and then you gotta move them. So if you're not willing to do that, and you're not willing to monitor what goes in their mouth, because the, they're they're not going around buying their stuff. It's a little bit different as a teenager. I got it, but that's just something we have to consider uh, in all of this. All right. So maybe you don't have any of those kids, but you have high blood pressure. But what if you have obesity? What if you smoked? What if you don't exercise? What if you have elevated homocysteine, which you'd be running everybody? It's a blood test, in my opinion. What if you have diabetes? Well, these are all vascular insults. These are all, um, you go through or um, more or less saving your brain and making sure that you don't have cardiovascular or you have any um, diabetes. These things have to be dealt with. Um, that goes along because this blood supply goes into the limbic system. This is how people can get anxiety and depression from having just these things that we talked about. You don't have to be a kid, a kid your whole life or, that, or somebody that for their entire life had some sort of diagnose ADD, ADHD, or uh, on the autistic spectrum. Uh, you don't have to do that. So uh, just to be clear that, that there are other things that happen along, or somebody gets knocked in the head, a traumatic brain injury. Uh, I had one when I was in second grade. Um, and while I've had some brain scans and everything, that, that part of the brain, when we, <laughs> you can look at like what's called a hot and cold area of the brain, that part of the brain where I've got, I mean, I've, I've got a few lack of consciousness which is quite scary and, and the, the bigger picture of it and uh, uh that part of the brain is it's gone it's it, it doesn't have, have any blood flow or anything that goes to it it's it's um I'm, I'm trying to make sure that it doesn't do anything and to keep the inflammation and everything down but i mean and, and what did anybody know in like 1982 that's when i got hit by a car and landed on top of my head and we didn't wear helmets back then and it's been quite a great time in the hospital and uh, parents got to see the inside of my brain. Uh, it was it, from them. I mean, just parents. I, I would, I would have freaked out too. <laughs> but uh, there, there was a lot of things that happened, uh, or, or how I remember thinking, or how I saw the world before that accident. It was completely different afterwards. And then happened again. Um, uh, in, in junior high, I slipped and fell on a, a slide and went down and hit the back of my head and somehow did not drown. Uh, I mean, somebody would, I mean, I felt like right into the pool and I, I must've been down for enough, but somebody pulled me out. Uh, so there's two of my nine lives. <laughs> and then I had, now we were, you know, stupid college kids. And I had, uh, there was like, literally it was like 10 people <laughs> in a dorm room and they're all having fun. And one guy got mad at another guy. And um, I was, talking to somebody else in the room. And as he tackled him, uh, the two tumbled into me and my head whiplashed into the side of a, uh, a door jam that was metal because it was a dorm room. And there we go. There was another, I mean, the back of my head has been just absolutely <laughs> dismantled. Um, and then I don't know how many times I could say, uh, probably half a dozen that my head bounced off the concrete, but luckily wearing a helmet, but I, I've been hit by more than one car. Um, so I don't ride bicycles anymore. So there's there's a lot of traumatic brain damage that goes through there. And there is a particular part of my brain that um, I know what circuit that's on. And I try to be very, very careful with what goes on there. I don't overstimulate that. 
and then make sure that everything else I think I think I know um, is is being taken care of. And so uh, there's always testing with me. Uh, I do see other people because I can't be the. You know, my on mantra is that doctor has a self for a patient, has a fool for a patient. So I know what's going on, but I keep my mouth shut at doctor's offices. I really do. Um, I let them play doctor and do their thing, and then tell me advice. And whether I agree with it or not is up to me. But that's that's the game that I play, and that's why I, I, mean, I have people that come to my office that have had these things. That's why my intake form is to get them long. It's like, I know. If you had anything like I had as a kid, and some people do, and now you're having issues with it in that same particular region, uh, that's a red flag. But if nobody's asked you about a loss of consciousness in your entire life or an infection you might have had or you left the country and got um, a parasite or something like that, uh, they're missing a potentially absolutely key to what your mechanism is and where you're at and then how to properly treat you. So I just want to be clear about those things that are that are that are out there. As I wrapped up, I'm, I'm, I've been talking about this limbic system and and what it does and how the things that can happen. But a lot of times, anxiety, depression, any any particular change of mood, whatever, they're all called mood disorders, including bipolar, are triggered from activities um, from unhealthy mitochondria, meaning you don't have enough fuel to go there, and it happens to be the unhealthy mitochondria within the limbic system. So these are the reason we want to light it up. It's one we meant to make sure that they can have the things that they need to have and what we need to do is stimulate it, whether it's uh, being social or uh, figuring out things, critical thinking, or being uh, planning and on time. Um, and, and can they move? Can they balance? Can they get in a crowded place? And, and do they listen to music and things that, that uh, maybe they don't like, but sometimes they do like, and it, it actually stimulates their brain. And to make sure that all the chemistry along that part of the brain is working. And by the way, this isn't neurotransmitters. This is like blood sugar and making sure you have blood flow and making sure you have no anemia or anything that goes into there. And, and when you have that, here, here's what the brain does. It literally makes the neurotransmitters for you. And to, to test a neurotransmitter in, in the urine, it, it just means that it's like made in the body. It doesn't mean it's made in the brain. You literally have to cut the brain open to go take a look at the neurotransmitters in there. And nobody's going to let you do that. And so we have to make sure that the blood sugar and all these other physiological responses are correct, and then uh, we can hope to have a response. I know you have a lot of podcasts you can listen to. I appreciate you listening to ours. If you like us, uh, like the podcast. If you'd like to learn more about us or maybe even look at our approach, uh, you're more than welcome to, to call our office and talk to somebody about it. Um, you can also go to our website at choosenewleaf.com. Uh, I wish you all the best of health. Great health does not have to be a mission impossible. This podcast, Great Health Does Not Have to Be a Mission Impossible, provides you information about evidence-based strategies for Hashimoto's hypothyroidism, gut health problems, digestion, autoimmune disease, brain health issues, and many other chronic health conditions. If you enjoy this podcast, you can find more information on today's episode, Nutrition, Dr. Trite's blog, and many other topics at choosenewleaf.com. There you'll have all the information, and thank you for listening to this podcast. The best thing to do is sign up for his newsletter, where he'll update you on the latest research and clinical strategies related to chronic and autoimmune health conditions. You can find Dr. Trite's social media on Instagram and Facebook with the username New Leaf Health. This podcast is for general informational purposes only. It does not constitute the practice of medicine, nursing, or other professional health care services, including the giving of medical advice.
Note, no doctor-patient relationship is formed. The use of this information in materials linked to the podcast is at the user's own risk. The content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Users should not delay or disregard obtaining medical advice for any medical conditions they have and should seek the assistance of their healthcare professionals for any such conditions.